You, please tell me, what is wrong with people? So that, I've seen people referring to it as a stunt, but it's really just a hit and run. That happened shortly after midnight yesterday near downtown LA. And according to the LAPD, the car was a rented 2018 Tesla and whoever was behind the wheel took off after the crash, leaving it abandoned on the scene. And while police have said they don't currently have a description of the driver, they did say that the person will face misdemeanor hit and run charges. But one of the more interesting and key things with this story is that there were so many witnesses at the scene at the time of the incident. Like if you go on social media, there are a crazy number of angles of this jump with local outlets reporting that multiple people were there recording it on their phones. One of the main people there that documented this was YouTuber Alex Choi, a creator who reportedly has a channel revolved around car shenanigans. With Choi putting out a video titled, Jumping a brand new 150K Tesla 50 feet into the air, totaled with a description reading, I'm glad to say luckily nobody was hurt. I was not the one driving. One wrong move and many people could have been killed. Please do not try this at home. And adding, I had no idea this dude was going to jump his Tesla immediately after I showed up. I do not condone reckless behavior that endangers the lives of others. In closing, please let this video serve as a learning lesson and I hope everyone impacted by this receives their form of justice. And as far as more details in the video, he says this random dude wanted to show me the place David Dobrik jumped his Tesla, referring, you know, to this old clip, that happening back in 2020. However, according to Choi, this driver, he just floored it up the hill without any warning. You then hear people yelling, check the car, check the car. Are seemingly concerned for the person that just yeeted themselves into a failed rendition of I believe I can fly. With Choi and others then driving down to the crash car, wreckage just lining the road. By the time they arrive, the driver is gone. Meanwhile, the car is just mangled in the front, bits of it and trash cans everywhere. And as if this wasn't fucked up enough, Choi and his team even said, they found a stray cat in the car, saying that they believe the cat was actually in the car during the jump. However, they did know that it is uninjured. Choi himself saying of the jump that he thought it was going to be much less than it actually was and adding, I never want to ever see anyone die in front of me. That is my worst living nightmare. Think twice before you do anything stupid. Let none of us, none of the YouTube clout chasing influencers like me become any motivation for you guys. We've also now since seen a guy who says that he owns one of the damaged cars that the Tesla slammed into now speaking out. And in a GoFundMe, that man Jordan Hook recounted his version of the hit and run that night saying that the sound of the crash woke him up. He went outside to find people scrambling out of the crash Tesla and into others, adding that a Subaru is now undrivable, but also one of the biggest accusations that he makes is that Choi issued a copyright strike against a video that Hook posted to YouTube as part of his GoFundMe, saying, Alex Choi had the audacity to have my first video removed for copyright infringement because I used a clip he took of the Tesla jump he coordinated, documented, and bragged about. Though, I do want to note it has not been 100% confirmed yet that Choi himself or someone on his team issued the strike, and according to Choi's own account, he coordinated the larger Tesla drive, but not the jump, which happened later. Still, I reached out to Joy to see if he would confirm or deny this aspect of the story or give a comment in general. As of recording, he has not responded. But still, on social media, you have people saying things like Alex Joy should be ashamed of himself, especially since Hook's just trying to get help to fix his car. Though on that note, while Joy has not addressed the copyright strike against Hook, we have seen him acknowledging the GoFundMe and saying that he's donated $2,000, posting an Instagram story of the GoFundMe writing, dude's car that got hit by the flying Tesla, LOL, and pointing to his donation and comment where he wrote, hope you get your justice service. Here's probably all the ad revenue I'll get from my video. But for now, the driver is still unknown. Known, though that hasn't stopped douchebags like Dirty Dom of all people from claiming on TikTok that he was the driver. And even though Choi has tried to rein in that narrative as sort of a, a clout chasing narrative on Instagram, you did have the LAPD saying they're considering Dom a person of interest based on the public postings of his account. And I've tried to wrap my head around why Dom would, would lie about this though. I mean, one, yeah, clout chasing in general, but two, he probably wants the attention for a reason that's not him being accused of rape. But to, to Dirty Dom or whoever it is, and I, and I really do hope the truth comes out, you are insanely fucking stupid and that's why you are our douchebag or douchebags 
of the day. But yeah, with all of that said, I'd love to know your thoughts on any aspect of that story, whether it be the, the Alex Choi part, the Dirty Dom, the jump in general, anything and everything, let me know what you're thinking. And while you may be clickety-clack on that keyboard, I'll say, oh hi, welcome back to the Philip DeFranco Show. I hope you had a good weekend, buckle up, hit that like button, let's just jump into it. And then let's talk about major updates around the very, very public mess that is going to be the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial that starts in just a month. Right, so for the last couple of years, there have been so many updates, other cases happening on the sidelines, tons of controversies, and people have kind of just wondered, is this trial going to happen? And if so, what is it going to look like? And now, thanks to a new report from Deadline, it appears that we have some answers to those questions. Starting off with, it appears that there is a pretty star-studded witness list that includes the likes of James Franco, Paul Bettany, Elon Musk, as well as reps from Disney, Warner Bros, and the LAPD. And on top of these big names testifying, private correspondence between Depp and Heard and Hollywood stars are going to be laid out publicly. And as far as why some of these people have been called, Depp accused James Franco and Elon Musk of having affairs with Heard, so they're on the witness list and are going to appear in court via video. And then you have Paul Bettany on Depp's witness list with a report noting the text between the two were read at a previous trial that showed them talking about burning and drowning Heard, and then Depp specifically saying that he would have sex with her corpse, with that correspondence being on Heard's exhibit list. With her exhibit list also including text from Jason Momoa and director James Wan, as well as messages with Zack Snyder and more. And for those that don't know, right, all these legal battles stem from the $50 million lawsuit that Depp filed against Heard over an op-ed that she wrote for the Washington Post describing herself as a domestic abuse victim. Heard then later countersued for $100 million and both have tried and failed to kill the other suit. But yeah, we have some more information, but ultimately we're gonna have to wait for April 11th. That's when the trial starts in Virginia. And as far as what happens from there, we're gonna have to wait to see, especially because some reports have claimed that the trial will be at least partially televised, but we need to, we need to get closer to the date. But with that said, we haven't checked in on this story for a while, so I do wanna pass the question off to you. What are your thoughts as now it's actually happening? What are your thoughts on this situation? But from that, I wanna take a second to thank the fantastic sponsor of today's show, Keeps. Did you know that two out of three guys will experience some form of male pattern baldness by the time that they're 35? And maybe you have that friend or that family member that's dealing with hair loss right now, and you don't have to just wait for that to happen to you because now is the time to do something about it. Keeps helps you stop hair loss before it's too late with a scientific and affordable approach to treatments that are up to 90% effective at reducing and stopping further hair loss. And Keeps offers generic versions of the only two FDA approved hair loss products that are out there. So some of you may have already tried them before, but probably never at this price. And you get these products delivered directly to your door. That means no more going in person to the doctor's office for your prescription, saving you both valuable time and money. So if you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, go to keeps.com slash DeFranco, or just click that link in the description to get 50% off your first order. And then today is the start of one of America's biggest circuses, and that is a Supreme Court justice confirmation hearing. It has now officially begun, and in the hot seat, you have 51-year-old Kentanji Brown Jackson, who, if confirmed, will be taking over for Justice Breyer. And for those who don't remember, she was picked as a nominee by President Joe Biden last month as part of his promise to appoint a black woman to the highest court. While many praise Biden's commitment to making the court more reflective of America's demographics, there were some who questioned the legitimacy of limiting his pool of potential nominees solely based on race and sex. But this is also a matter that Senate Republicans, while some were speaking out, have largely been silent on. And reportedly, they are afraid of how it would look in the polls if the public assumes that they're opposing Jackson solely because of her race. I mean, just take a look at how bluntly Senator Susan Collins put it last month, saying, the idea that race and gender should be number one and number two criteria is not as it should be. On the other hand, there are many qualified black women for this post, and given that Democrats regrettably have had some success in trying to paint Republicans as anti-black, it may make it more difficult to reject a black jurist. And so instead, what we've seen are Republicans pushing a narrative that Jackson's backed by so-called dark money groups, right? Uh, talking about organizations such as Demand Justice. And this is how Senator Charles Grassley put it this morning when referencing Jackson's past appointments. The Obama White House records indicate that a co-founder of the Demand Justice played an important role in Judge Jackson's nomination to the Sentencing Commission and the District Court. The Demand Justice co-founder even interviewed Judge Jackson about the nomination to the Sentencing Commission. 
it would be helpful to know what Demand Justice co-founder learned from that process and why they strongly support Judge Jackson. However, there is a glaring issue with this narrative, and that's because all the Supreme Court justices lately have been pushed with the help of dark money groups. This is true whether it is a liberal or a conservative justice, and while demand justice appears to be backing liberals, on the conservative side you have the Federalist Society. But also, beyond having a hand in the nomination process, these groups don't seem to have any power over a justice once they're on the bench. Or because once they're appointed, justices are pretty much unshackled, and we've kind of seen that to a certain degree with Kavanaugh and Barrett becoming what's been referred to as the ideological center of the court voting against other conservative members at a higher rate. But all that said, the questions won't just be about alleged ties to demand justice. There will also be plenty of questions about her judicial record and views. And so as far as who is Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson, I mean, some of the things we know, she's from Miami, Florida. She's been serving on the federal circuit court in DC. In total, she's been a federal judge for about nine years. And before that was a clerk for Breyer, a public defender, and had a private practice. And the thing is, the bulk of the Senate already knows a lot about her, including all her appointments in the past. I mean, this will be the fourth time the Senate has scoured her record with her judicial philosophy pretty well attested to with over six her decisions across various types of cases. And as for her record, you can expect to hear a lot about her decisions on crime, which Republicans claim she is weak on. Where leading up to the hearings, you had Senator Josh Hawley going around saying, the facts are the facts. Judge Jackson sentenced below the sentencing guidelines for every single child porn offender that has come before her. And in an op-ed pointing to a case where she sentenced a man uploading this type of content to just three months in prison rather than the normal eight to 10 years. However, we've seen pushback against this from the likes of White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki pointing out that quote, in the vast majority of cases involving child sex crimes, the sentences Judge Jackson imposed were consistent with or above what the government or U.S. probation recommended. But beyond that, there will also likely be scrutiny about her past work, with Republicans already setting up questions about her decision to represent detainees at Guantanamo Bay, with Senator John Cornyn telling CNN, if somebody is assigned to a job as a young lawyer, you don't get to pick and choose your clients. But if you're volunteering for it because you're a true believer, that's a little different. However, this could also be flipped to be a testament to how much she believes in the constitutional right that everyone get fair representation. Right, for example, most praise President John Adams for his decision to defend the British soldiers from the Boston Massacre when he was an attorney due to this exact same belief. But all that said, this entire process will likely take some time with the hearing alone set to last four days. But yeah, from that, we'll just have to watch, wait and see if Jackson will be our newest Supreme Court justice. And then let's talk about the awful tragic news coming out of Southern China today. With flight MU5735, a passenger plane carrying 132 people taking off this afternoon, local time for a flight to Guangzhou. But an hour and a half later, the airport's app marked the plane out of reach. And that's because it disappeared. But we now know what happened. The plane nosedived into a mountain in Guangxi province, all but certainly killing everyone on board. With aviation data showing that the plane was cruising around 30,000 feet when it suddenly plummeted, crashing into the earth around 90 seconds later, catching fire and setting the surrounding forests ablaze, which firefighters who first arrived at the site quickly extinguished, and around 600 more emergency responders reportedly going to help, though they found no signs of survivors. And so as of now, the authorities are still investigating what happened with President Xi, personally ordering them to look into any safety hazards and calling for an all-out effort in the rescue operation. Also, as far as the plane at the center of all this, it's a China Eastern Airlines Boeing 737-800, which, just to be clear, is different from the 737 MAX that made headlines when faulty software brought two of them down a little over three years ago. Or the 737-800 is an older model, though both of them are part of Boeing's next-generation narrow-body jets. And so for Boeing, this is another deadly instance for a company that's already paid $2.5 billion in a fine to the U.S. Justice Department early last year to resolve criminal charges that it conspired to defraud the FAA. And following this crash, some of the things we've seen Boeing stock tanking Monday around 5% by the time that the market opened. And 
now China Eastern Airlines grounding all of its 737-800s as well as setting up an emergency hotline for the families of those who are on board and giving its condolences. But really, the, the last thing I'll touch on is how rare this is for China. They actually have a good record with aviation safety with the last major accident happening 12 years ago. And that because the country's air safety standards have improved dramatically since a string of crashes back in the 1990s. But ultimately, with this story, we wait to see what information we can get from the investigation, what we can learn. And in the meantime, uh, our well wishes go to those affected. And then, of course, let's talk about updates in Ukraine as Russia's war enters its 26th day. Whereas the fighting continues across the region, we've seen Russia continuing what appears to be nothing more than just senseless attacks on civilian infrastructure and neighborhoods. On Sunday, Russia launched a missile strike on a major shopping center in Kyiv, leaving much of the area in rubble and killing at least eight in what's been described as one of the strongest bombings of Ukraine's capital since the beginning of the invasion. And with this, you had the mayor of Kyiv imposing a curfew on the city, requiring all residents of the capital to stay at home or in shelters from 8 p.m. on Monday to 7 a.m. Wednesday, and mandating that all stores, pharmacies, gas stations, and government offices close on Tuesday. With the mayor insisting that the shopping center attack is not a coincidence, saying that Putin wants to starve the civilians to make them pressurize their leaders. Right? And with this latest strike, as well as others on apartment buildings, residents in the capital are worried that if Russian forces continue to close in, Kyiv could see attacks like those in Kharkiv and Mariupol, where Russia has launched onslaughts on civilian populations to make up for slow progress in the region. And that concern is especially heightened as British defense officials have warned that Kyiv remains Russia's primary military objective and adding that troops are expected to prioritize an attempt to encircle the city in the coming weeks. Also, on the note of major military objectives, I want to hit on updates in Mariupol. Right after weeks of attacks on the strategic southern port city, we saw Russia yesterday offering an ultimatum saying, if the city surrenders, it will allow civilians to leave and humanitarian aid to enter. Though on Monday, Ukrainian officials rejected the ultimatum, but you did see Ukrainian President Zelensky saying he would be open to negotiations to end the fighting. But it's also unclear how sustainable the situation on the ground is. Right, According to reports, hundreds of thousands of civilians remain trapped in the city with no electricity and rapidly diminishing supplies of food and water. Meanwhile, Ukrainian military and city officials have said that the battle has devolved into street-to-street guerrilla fighting and the Russian forces have encircled the city and are currently occupying all civilian neighborhoods. With a top EU diplomat going as far to accuse Russia of committing a massive war crime in its attack of Mariupol. And understand, what happens here is absolutely massive. If Russia seizes Mariupol, it could mark its first real strategic victory in a war that has resulted in stalemate after stalemate on many other fronts. Which, on that note, while Russia has ramped up shelling in recent days, a U.S. defense official told reporters that Russian forces have shown almost no signs of advancing into Ukraine over the last week. And to that point, as the Russian military remains stalled around many areas and have failed to take control over any major cities, Ukrainian officials are looking for new possible fronts that Putin might open. Specifically, because Russia has been more successful in the south, where Mariupol is, officials are closely watching that region. But beyond that, there are also concerns that Russian and possibly Belarusian troops might try to open up a new front along Ukraine's northern border with Belarus. With the governor of Rivne, a city alongside that border, announcing that it has been struck by two missiles. And these worries over new areas of attack come as millions of people are already being displaced and fleeing the country. Yesterday, you had the UN reporting that more than 10 million or one in four people in Ukraine have been displaced since the beginning of the invasion. And just today, saying that more than 3.4 million refugees have fled Ukraine since Russia launched the invasion. Describing this situation as the fastest growing refugee crisis in Europe since World War II. And with this refugee crisis, we're seeing European cities accepting the fleeing Ukrainians hitting their capacity. Like the Polish capital of Warsaw, for example, where the mayor is now warning that the city of 1.8 million is on the brink as over 300,000 refugees have sought safety there. Also of note here, according to a non-governmental organization dedicated to protecting children, 1.5 million of the refugees who have fled Ukraine are children. And for those who have not fled, humanitarian workers are worried that things will get much worse for those trapped in the country, especially as hundreds of hospitals and medical centers have either been damaged or remain in danger. And while those medical centers should be protected under international law, basically Russia has clearly shown that it doesn't care about the rules of war. Plus, in addition to attacks on civilians, we've now seen multiple reports of Russia blocking essential aid. I mean, just today, for example, we saw Zelensky claiming the Russians hijacked a relief convoy near Kharkiv, saying that officials had lost contact with six 
six people, implying that they had been detained. But ultimately, the last thing that I want to talk about here are the updates on the ongoing negotiations. Yesterday, we saw Zelensky making renewed calls for peace talks, but the two sides appear to be so far apart. Speaking to CNN yesterday, he said that he would reject any peace agreement that requires Ukraine to recognize the independence of the two Russian-backed separatist regions, and adding that to end the fighting, Ukraine would need security guarantees, sovereignty, restoration of territorial integrity, and real guarantees for our country. And with all this, continuing to urge NATO to accept Ukraine into the alliance, but also stating that if that did not happen, he would seek a more limited coalition of countries. With him also going on to emphasize the importance of negotiations, saying, I think that without negotiations, we cannot end this war. And adding, but if these attempts fail, that would mean a third world war. Meanwhile, President Biden's now making his biggest diplomatic push so far, traveling today to meet with the leaders of France, Germany, Italy, and Britain. And after that, he's expected to travel to Brussels to meet with NATO and EU leaders on Wednesday, then to Poland on Friday, with one of the most significant topics of discussion at those summits likely to be Poland's proposal to launch an international peacekeeping mission in Ukraine. Or because although NATO has undertaken these missions in Europe before, they were done after the fighting had ended. Which is part of the reason why already the U.S. has rejected that idea, saying yesterday that it has ruled out any U.S. military participation. But ultimately, that is where that story and today's show ends. I'll see you tomorrow.